This is our Fireside Stories, talking junk, telling stories about South Africa. Hey, Mrs. Zia. Hey, Zan. So we've been doing this for a, a few weeks now, talking about our cuck thoughts. <laughs> And ideas. Awesome. Yeah. So, today's a momentous episode, isn't it? It's the last one, episode 10, in our first season of our Fireside Stories podcast. How do you feel looking back? Do you have any highlights? (laughs) Laughing at you, mocking me, basically. Hilarious. So extensions of normal life, really. Yeah, exactly. It's been loads of fun talking junk with you. Good. Likewise, with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been good. Have you had a favourite episode? Talking about s- slang was pretty fun, Yeah. I guess. That was a good we, one. <laughs> we, we did chuckle a bit in that one. Um, you know, it was good. And actually, I really liked, and this was obviously early on, but um, I really liked your dad's stories of Africa. Mm, you know, the, they are good. The man-eating lion, and there's just something. There's something about them that stick in your head. Mm. Um, it's probably also because you tell them so beautifully. Oh, you're very kind. One of my favorites still, always, no matter how many times I hear it, is you drinking the stony and <laughs> crying. <laughs> I laugh every time I think about that. That's just because you're mean. (laughs) Maybe. Like laughing about my shoe full of mud. Or laughing when my my hand gets caught in the window. (laughs) Or laughing when I fall in the mud. You you pay back with plenty of um, dissing. I do set myself up for it, don't I? I'm a bit cringy, aren't I? As oh. Amelia would say. I plead the fifth. <laughs> so it's the end of the end of the first season, and we didn't plan it like this. Or at least, I guess we could take credit for planning it like this, but we definitely didn't. It's the end of the season of season one of our fireside stories, but also the end of a chapter for the Zanans. As mm-hmm. we, what are we doing? We are moving house for the, what, sixth time in London? Mm -hmm. Sixth, fifth? The manyth time. time in London. And we're doing a crazy ass thing and giving up our beautiful garden in our fairly small North London. Our landlord's beautiful garden. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And moving onto the high street in our area into a four-bedroom flat with our five children. We're it's smart. a big flat. It's a big flat. <laughs> We're, smart, yeah. We're next to a park. Does that count? The bakery's underneath us, practically. Not actually the bakery. I think it's the Greek restaurant, but whatever. I was going to say, are you, are you suggesting that a bakery is a sufficient alternative to a garden? Um, when we pitched it to the kids, <laughs> I did pitch it. <laughs> the bakery focus yeah as well as their friends being like two minutes walk 
Mm. I think that sold it. Although Layla did realize today, sadly, that there will be no blow-up pool in the garden this summer. Mm. She was a bit sad. Mm. But you could... You could definitely put a blow-up pool in that roof, though. <laughs> yeah, you could. So there's a big flat, black space mm. roof yeah. behind the fire escape. Could you... You'd have to, like, spray water out the window yeah. down into the pool two floors down. <laughs> that would be funny. They can just carry buckets. We'll make friends with our neighbours that way. Like the villagers carrying water from the well. Mm. There's a fire. They can build some grit. Mm. Well, build their biceps. Yeah. Of which we've discovered that they don't have any. Yeah. Not not good. So, Layla's disappointed about the fact that there's no blood pools... There's no place to make a fire, yeah. which is one of her favorite things to do. At the and moment. that was also the first comment she made when we told her there would be no garden. <laughs> yeah, it was where like, are we going to build my fires? <laughs> yeah. uh, great. And what was the other thing she was going to miss? Oh, when we gave away the table and chairs. She's like, what am I going to use to make my dens? <laughs> Everyone else seems pretty cool about everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will keep you guys posted. <laughs> An, advent, an adventure. On seven people in a four-bedroom flat. Yeah. A, a big four-bedroom flat. But yeah. Okay, so obviously we've been thinking a lot about home. Mm-hmm. As we're moving home. Yeah. And all the memories we have in this home. Two babies born here. Yeah. And lots of fun times with our, my brothers and other family members and friends. My parents sleeping under the dining room table. <laughs> My mom's sleeping in the tent in the garden with the girls. Mm-hmm. And I guess what home means. It's definitely not the first time we've considered home. Mm. Right? Do you find yourself like having moments? Yeah, well, I'm fairly sentimental anyway. Mm. <laughs> so when we gave our table away the other day, I was like, oh, all the cookies we made at that table with the cousins. Mm. But, um... I'm super excited for a new adventure and a crazy adventure. If you asked me a month ago mm. if we would be ever moving into a flat with this many children, I would have been like, hells to the no. Mm. But life has taken us there. Yeah. And I've been definitely thinking about the fact that home is the people as opposed to the place at this stage in our lives. And then also thinking that that maybe has to do with our age and where we are at in life, because obviously I feel, as I think you do, a significant attachment to our homeland. Yes. Um, which is place. Right. Yeah. So it's quite an interesting tension is what I'm saying. Like, hmm. I think if none of, because some of our people are mm-hmm. still in South Africa. Yep. Even if they weren't, I don't think they'd change. You would still almost intuitively call South Africa home. Yep. Yeah, there is some like umbilical cord attachment to the place. Mm. Um, and I don't know if it's because when you are younger... And your memories and your personality and your identity are like formalizing. 
they're quite attached to the environments in which you are in. Mm. Um, actually, it's an interesting question for you because you say that your memories are cued by like visual cues, right? So how, <laughs> like I, I think I remember things. I, I don't know. I remember differently to you, but how, not being in South Africa, mm. are you able to remember? How does your memory work? In relation to... Well, you say that you, you don't like... You need a visual cue to jog your memory in terms of whatever, remembering certain things. So how do you how do you remember things that happened back at home? I think it's... Well, I describe it a slightly different way. I feel like... Um, I feel like I can't just dip, if that makes sense. Yeah. I can't just go... I don't know. 1995. Pick a memory. <laughs> like, Am I a dipper? I don't know if you're a dipper, but I feel like you have... I don't know if I'm a dipper either. I don't know if you are a dipper, but I feel like you have more... Um, it's almost like you have a cache of, of yeah. memories to hand. Whereas I don't know if I work in that same way. Yeah. I don't find myself spending a lot of time thinking about things or mulling over things from the past if you know what i mean i do um or telling my story to myself or other people <laughs> i can't tell if you're um having a dig at me or not no it's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not an intentional dig okay um it's just a difference in the way that we function and i think actually having partnered with you in life i have realized the value of stories and telling stories and trying to be better about telling stories about life and you know we've talked about not knowing a whole lot about our parents potentially you know you know like knowing little tidbits but not really like talking to them about their, yeah. their lives or them talking to us about mm -hmm. things that have passed whereas you know we sit at the table and we're like mom mom tell us the story of piggy or tell us the story of <laughs> you know yeah tell us the story when uncle chrissy jumped out the window or whatever those all those things yeah. like that um and those things actually i think it's quite important as um part of a legacy of people mm -hmm. to share that information because it's important for your children's identity when you immigrate and you bring with you the identity of place but you're no longer in that place i feel like there comes a point Maybe not, but definitely for me, there comes a point, has come a point where I want to pass on the legacy of South Africa, the place, mm. to our kids yeah. um, for various reasons. But um, that's part of why we do this, right? Talking junk <laughs> and telling stories about South Africa. Man, I wish we could record your face. <laughs> no, there's a reason we're not doing video casts. <laughs> is that just to hide like my third chin mm -mm -mm. maybe next season get the kids on yeah hmm? what to count our chins oh my word they would mock us entirely I want to read you something I wrote actually so I wrote the story called The Immigrant's Void and the thing I wrote is often I have to fight the feeling that I'm passing on to my children a vague silhouette an inkling a ghost of something that shaped me that is important to me, that lives in me, but is not really real anymore. Mm. 
and I had, I've had people write back to me who read that. Some South African and some not South African, some from other countries who have immigrated and say that that is really, they really relate to that. Mm. I don't know, what do you think about that? I kind of feel like I want to respond intuitively. My first thought when I, re- when I, when I hear you say that is because it is a silhouette or uh-huh. a shadow of something that you experienced and you know that they will never experience it doesn't matter how many times you talk about it it's a bit like <laughs> a photo of a beautiful landscape yeah yeah you you take a photo and then you look at it and you go mm, it's really beautiful but it still doesn't capture quite all the beauty of it yeah it's a little bit like that i feel um but you probably can't even describe it in as much detail does that change whether you're in the country of your birth or not because if you think about the stories your grand tried to tell you many a time and Mm. actually they're pretty awesome but as a kid you kind of fobbed her off didn't listen that much they were kind of unimportant in your life when you were 10 Mm. (laughs) now they're more interesting but um you you know you were in south africa living in south africa is there a difference i think there's an attitudinal difference in terms of taking those things for granted mm-hmm. obviously being an arrogant child probably doesn't help you know um and i think to some extent you do tend to adopt the attitude of the family so bear in mind i was one of the younger cousins yeah and there was almost this like family game i guess you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't tease my gran about it but it was almost like oh yeah goes gran again you yeah know, telling the story but that meant that we didn't really listen to it. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how you would do that differently. I guess in our family, because we, um, because we have like reverence, I guess, for other people's stories in general, because mm-hmm. they're an important part of who they are, right? They're, they're, yeah. It's an important part of their makeup, and it gives you a sense of what they really care about and the things that they remember and it's just about honoring other people Mm -hmm. and also we have like an agenda which Mm. is i mean storytelling is awesome and we love it but it's also we're telling south african stories or stories relating to growing up in south africa a country that they don't know yeah but we feel like is part of who they are i mean i don't know if i actually answered your previous question about if it's any different not being in your home country i do think there's almost that don't know what you've got till it's gone kind of exactly thing. Mm-hmm. um where i think when you live there you almost like take for granted the fact that maybe your children will um learn all these things by proxy just yeah, by, exactly. vir- by virtue of living there by virtue yep. of your encounters mm-hmm. even though you might not talk overtly about any of these things yes there's the assumption that all of these things will be as is often the case with culture, they'll almost be learned by osmosis or yeah. simply by exposure to p- people of the same culture. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But when they're not in that place, there's a more, a greater sense of responsibility or whatever um, because they're not going to learn <laughs> through osmosis because they're in a different place. Mm. But I do think part of it is there is this 
or at least we grew up with almost like a rhetoric which basically said moving around is bad for kids and mm-hmm. they need almost like an anchor somewhere yes and i don't think i believe that to be true yeah in part because yes while we might have memories attached to a place mm-hmm. and yes maybe moving places can be difficult i think if you're doing it together there is a stability there is a stability there and actually I don't know, imagine one of our kids says, no, I'm not I'm not leaving. Like, I'm just going to stay in this house. They, it wouldn't be long before they come to find us, right? Because the things that they need are not in this building. They're the people. Well, that's exactly what I meant when I said home is us, like the family. Yeah. Our family doesn't matter kind of where we are. Mm. And I guess maybe you can relate that to moving away from South Africa, the home feel as well as the place is the people Mm. in the sense that South Africans have a certain character. Yeah. Um, Obviously we're generalizing, but the warmth, the conversational attitude and obviously, we also remember things with rose-tinted glasses because we're no longer there. Mm. I do find that in these, um, I do find that in these times of change, I guess where there is a, if you want to say, closing of a chapter and opening of another chapter, which isn't always moving home. There, you know, there can be other yeah. things like that. I do find myself quite often thinking about home. Yeah. I've never really thought about it much more than that, other than um, there's almost this sense of, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what the feeling is, to be honest, Mm. but I do know that I was standing in the kitchen the other day and there was almost that feeling of missing something. Yeah. But at the same time, I think I agree with your assessment in the sense that you're you're missing a notion of something rather than missing an actual thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, because um, when we think about South Africa in particular, we think about childhood, we think about growing up in the 90s, we think about all the freedom we had doing that, and um, that is not the South Africa of today. Yeah. You know what I mean? If we went back now, it would be very different. I mean, we didn't leave in the 90s. <laughs> we grew up, you know, we left when we were, what, 20 in 2008. So, but um, the place you, that home feeling, that nostalgic sense of friendship and mm. place is not the same mm. now. Well, I, I was thinking, do you wonder if it's maybe to do with not even necessarily a place, but mm-hmm. the experiences of a time. Yeah. So you remember a time of, it's almost like you yearn after a time when you were carefree, I guess. Yeah. And you didn't have the responsibilities of having to fill a van with furniture <laughs> and sign rental contracts and, you know, apply for your kids to go to school. And Well, this is what I mean about home being that feeling being specifically attached to a time of growing up. Yeah. It's yeah. those like certain, those formative years um, where you can 
you not too young. Mm. You have to be able to actually remember. Yeah. So like between five and say 15, where you're developing an identity and a personality and it's largely influenced by, mm. you know, what's going on around you and the place you're in. Mm. That changes as an adult because you become more sort of rational and logical. And I think part of it's naivety as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. So when you when you're younger, and again, it depends on the type of family you grew up in. Yeah. So if my dad and his family always listened to the news, you maybe you're exposed potentially exposed. Yeah. To some more of the rough edges of life. Yeah. Um. So that does depend, and obviously circumstance, you know, if you've been exposed to violent crime or yeah. violence, and whatever, that, yeah. you know, that, that might not have the same Your Childhood won't be peachy for everyone. <laughs> but, well, yeah. I mean, it would, be, it would be interesting. So if you think, the immediate thing I think then is when you read that story of, that, of Dave Peltzer as a boy in mm-hmm. that crazy book, um, and how after being treated atrociously by his mother and father how he still wanted to please them and you kind of like wonder if there is still the sense of I don't know I'm not sure how you could pine after potentially the worst parts of your life anyway we're going a bit off track but well maybe it's that thing of if you relate that to a country no matter how hurt you are by your homeland you still forgive it Mm. it doesn't change how integrated it is into who you are so when we moved here we didn't move to leave did we which a lot of south africans do we moved well we didn't we didn't even move we <laughs> we journeyed to London to watch bands, earn pants so we could travel, buy good shoes. At least in my on my from my part. Um. And then kind of just ended up staying, <laughs> mm. and then decided sort of along the way that we were going to actually stay, but it was quite an organic mm. thing. Well, uh, when we came in 2008, as you've already said, with a five-year plan, mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't specifically have any plans to or to not have yeah. any children in the process. And obviously, children change your perspective yep. so much because your life is then not simply for yourself. And then you have to think about... A conversation we have with our parents all the time. Yes, there's no place on earth that's perfect. They're all like tanks of sharks. Some have more sharks in them than others. If I have to throw my children in one, it's going to be the one with what I perceive to be mm-hmm. less sharks. Yeah. Yeah. They have a better chance of survival <laughs> one way or another. And I guess then what happens is you make this choice. And then the mourning process is like this slow burn. It doesn't happen immediately because you haven't 
been in your country to like actively say goodbye to it or the people Mm. so it's kind of this like slow burn warning thing where you're like oh man like i really miss that and i really miss that Mm. remember that (laughs) Mm. this is after all called our fireside stories Mm. do you have (laughs) a fireside type story to hand that you could share with us I'm putting you on the spot. I have to think. No, don't think. Maybe I should tell you a couple about the two characters who inspire many of my fireside stories. Um, who might they be? I was going to say, let me guess. <laughs> okay, it's so not your mom and dad. No. My two brothers. Um, basically, most of my stories are about my two brothers. So the one time. At band camp. At band camp which was in Croydon in my house. Um, my best friend Winsome and I were sitting in my bedroom, just chilling, talking junk. We were probably 13 or 14, so probably talking about hot guys or... Rugby players. Rugby players. She didn't care about rugby, though. Um, maybe she was looking at the rugby posters on my wall and shaking her head silently. Mm. And we were sitting there, and above my room was Christopher's room, in sort of a loft we lived in a thatch house and it was sort of a loft space right so we're sitting there and we look out the window because out of the corner of our eyes we saw a blanket dropping down from the window like flying down next to us and we kind of looked at each other and we're like what and just carried on talking about hot guys next thing a human being (laughs) like torpedoes out the window also with a blanket I think so this was obviously Christopher I think he was trying to use the blanket as some sort of parachute Mm. Um, but he was clearly escaping from his room and had dropped down a blanket below him to soften the fall and it was high like it was not just sort of jumping out a tiny ass little window he jumped up high and anyway landed on the grass and we watched him and he picked up his blankets and he kind of like bolted across the garden with his loot. I don't know if he was, I don't know if he was in trouble and had been sent to his room and had decided to like escape his bedroom window. And what he used to do when we were kids was he was always running away. So when we lived in Kensington, my shrine of a place, he would tell my mom, he would tell her I'm running away. And she'd be like, that's cool. Go for it. And he would take his stuff, he would pack a backpack, and he would storm off down the street, right? And he would eventually, you know, wander back home. But I remember going for a walk one day, and I was just walking. We lived um, on the road that was in between Jeppy Boys and Jeppy Girls, so it was called Somerset Road. It ran parallel to Roberts Avenue. And I walked up the road towards Good Hope Street, which is where Jeppy Boys was. And there was, you know, those big red electricity boxes? Um, so I was walking then I spotted Christopher just sitting behind the red electricity box with his stuff and I was like what are you doing he goes I'm just running away and I was like couldn't you is there nowhere better to Mm. run to and then he was really mad that I figured out his hiding place Mm. so he would obviously have to discover a new electricity box to hide behind um, of which there weren't many in Croydon so I don't know where he planned on running to. Mm. But that was, yeah, 
Winston, I don't think, has forgotten that either. I feel like the red box is notorious because I've heard stories from your dad (laughs) and also your your (laughs) other brother of walking past this red electricity box and it's like, oh, there's Christopher. Yeah. Hey, Christopher. (laughs) Just (laughs) running away. Running away. Like, you're not running anywhere. You just (laughs) sat behind the electricity box. Oh, word. He's hilarious. Um, So next season, I definitely want to get him on the podcast. He's a lunatic. And Alistair, my little brother, is equally crazy in a different way. Mm. Got some good stories about him. He hides it, doesn't he? Yeah. As you know, it's there. He tends to be, he pretends to be the calm, sane <laughs> brother, but he is mad. But we all know. <laughs> no, no, no. So, they'll be good to have on. If you have a fireside style story that you would like to tell us, you can submit it on com. And we may invite you to join a session sometimes.